the 21st of August, 2009, episode 116. The Rookie Designer, with your host, Adam Hay. Let's take a look at the starting lineup. So in honor of the gigantic project that I've been working on and spending most of my time, even some of my free time on, I thought I would talk a little bit about what's going on for me at work, uh, the different things that we're going through with actually doing the research on retooling or rebuilding from the ground up an application, an online application. So again, we'll be touching on a lot of things web-based, but also we're going to be talking about a lot of things that are research-based, which really can go along with any type of project that you do, really getting that backing of the research, knowing what the users are going to need or what they want, and things of that nature. So we'll be talking about that. Also want to address uh, one question that I got from a listener that is about uh, payment options for doing freelancing. So we'll touch on that as well. And uh, anything else that might come up in the conversation. So uh, that's what we're doing today on Rookie Designer. A couple of tidbits before we get started. Um, Once again, apologize for the kind of herky-jerky a schedule on this thing, but like I said, things have been very, very busy lately. So I do try and keep updates on the Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is Rookie Designer. So uh, if you if you want to follow that, you can get news. I usually post up, you know, hey, I'm not going to be able to make this date for the podcast, and I'll usually give some kind of update for when it might actually be coming out. So if you care that much, you can go up there. Uh, I also try to put some little things up there as well, like links to great articles that I find or different websites, something like that. Haven't been doing so much of that lately, again, because of uh, the busy schedule, but I will be trying to do that a little bit more coming up here. So again, if you want to check out the Twitter, the the Twitter name is Rookie Designer, and it has that information up there. Also information about App Clinic, if you watch that podcast, um, I always throw a little note up there when I put a new one up, so just a way of keeping up to date on what's going on with these podcasts. Uh, Another thing I started to do, I kind of used to sandbag my, my website, so... You know, when I when I get my RSS feeds or however I get my information and I find these new websites that I think are cool, I used to kind of sandbag them and just keep them for the podcast so that I could put it up as, as the bullpen, as the, you know, website of the day or whatever. Uh, I decided that's really kind of a dumb idea. So I went in and I started just adding them to the, the Rookie Designer bullpen. You can get to that at rookiedesigner.com slash design dash resources, or just go to rookiedesigner.com and click on the bullpen uh, link at the top. So what I'm going to do now is when, as soon as I find these websites, I'm just going to throw them up on the, on the site there. Uh, and I'll probably just go back and rehash some of these for the bullpen when I do do a podcast. But just so you know, you, you are, it, it is available as an RSS feed to grab this bullpen. So that might be a great way for you to find some new websites. And again, hopefully I'll just be putting up, uh, right when I find them, you know, every day or every other day, or it might be less frequent than that. But as soon as I find these websites, this is going to kind of be my place to put up websites that I want to remember that I can go back at a later time and look at them if I don't have time to to totally check them out. Uh, I'm just going to put them up here so that everybody can check those out as well. So look for that. And uh, just another another thing to go to the website to check out. Or again, you can grab that RSS feed from the Rookie Designer bullpen and it'll come right into your RSS reader. 
which is a great way to do things as we talked about in the past. Um, other than that, I'm um, going to try and put out another podcast soon here since we're already getting pretty far into August. Uh, I'm not sure if it's going to happen next week. We might have to start anew in the next month, but I am going to try and catch up since I've been kind of missing some here and there. Um, That being said, I'm kind of running out of topics again. Uh, I can always find topics, of course, but I'd like to do topics uh, about things that people want to hear about. So if you have a topic that you'd like to hear a conversation about or maybe actually add to the conversation yourself, just write me an email and you can send that to rdpodcast at gmail.com. That's rd as in rookie designer, rdpodcast at gmail.com. And just let me know what you want to hear about. I mean, if it's something that we've covered already, we could potentially do do it from a different angle or just do it again. That's fine with me. But if there's something that, that's that's on your mind, something maybe that's happening at work, something you've talked about in school, or just something that you want to know more about that you really you know, you're not getting that information from work or from school. Uh, let me know and I will get it up on the podcast. And that's the best way for me. It makes it easier on me to know what to talk about and keep you guys interested. And it's, of course, beneficial to you because you get to hear someone's opinion on, on that, top, that topic that you want to hear about. So again, uh, feel free to write in and give me those topics. Um... The last thing is that this podcast is being brought to you by GoToMeeting. And GoToMeeting gives you a great way to do more and travel less. And you do this by hosting meetings online. It's a great thing because you can actually share your desktop with whoever joins that meeting. So it's very quick. You click to set up a meeting, invite people. They they attend the meeting through their browser. And again, they can see what's going on on your desktop. Uh, You can do cool things like pass the controls to them so that they can control the computer and show you things. But it's a great collaborative tool. And again, it saves you and them money because nobody's traveling to be in the same spot. You know, even if you're across the across the state or across the country, uh, you, you guys don't have to travel to see each other and really share your ideas. You also pay one flat rate and you meet as many times as you want. So if you want to check it out, go to gotomeeting.com slash techpodcasts. That's gotomeeting.com slash techpodcasts. And you'll be able to download and try the software for free for 30 days. So check that out. All right, one last thing before we get started, too, is I just want to thank everybody again for tuning in, for downloading the podcast, subscribing, however you get it. And again, uh, I ask that you pass the word around. You know, if you like this podcast, you think it's something that's useful to, to designers. Uh, if you know people who are the same in the same boat there in the design field and you think that they could benefit by listening to this podcast, I just ask that you tell them about it. Maybe show them where it's at. If they don't know about podcasts, show them how to subscribe or show them how to get the the podcast and listen to it. And that helps me a lot. And uh, I would appreciate if you guys do that. All right. So the first thing I want to talk about is I had a question sent in from uh, one of our regular contributors here, Curtis. And he had read an article on Freelance Switch, which is a, a blog that for freelancers that I've talked about in the past. Very good blog. Uh, I will put the, the link to this article up in the show notes, which again, you can get at rookiedesigner.com and just go to episode 116 and you'll see the link in there. But this, uh, this article that he pointed out is called Five Ways to Save Money on Freelancers. So it's really talking to um, the person that needs the job done. Like, how do I approach a freelancer and uh, 
you know, how do I save money when I'm going to set up a job with them? One of the things they talk about, and it's under a subtitle of haggle a little, it says one way to get the rate down is to offer pay to pay in cash if the freelancer is open to that. Uh, if, you've, if you have a product or service you'd like to give them free, you can also offer that. Many freelancers are open to perks and will bring their price down for, say, a free membership or product that they can use. So they're talking about, first of all, uh, offer to pay them in cash um, to bring the price down. And also the other thing is maybe you can actually barter a little bit and maybe they have something, you know, if they work for a gym, maybe they could give you a free membership, free year membership or something like that. And that would bring your price down because you're also getting something else in return. Or maybe they actually sell a particular product that you're interested in and they could give you one of those and that would bring the price down as well. So uh, the question that I got from Curtis was wondering what you think about getting paid in cash and offering discounts based on that. Um, and he said it was from this. So I actually want to go down and read some of the comments. Um, the first one is from Curtis and he says, pay in cash with, with a question mark. Typically the implication here is that you're paying under the table. Thus the freelancer avoids taxes and other fees so they can give you a discount. The problem with this is that it's illegal. Of course, if you ever get caught, the government will make you Make your life such a living hell that the small amount you save will not be worth it. Please don't get paid in cash. Skip putting it in the books. It's never worth it. Um, before I even read his comments on this, when I got the question from him, and actually before I even looked at the, the article, because he just, he just asked me, you know, what do you think about getting paid in cash and offering discounts? My first thought was that. Um, getting paid in cash to me means that you are getting paid under the table, as he said which again is illegal, of course. Now it doesn't mean that people don't do it all the time and not just freelancing. I mean, it happens for all different kinds of jobs. Uh, is it illegal? Yes. Could you potentially get away with it? Of course. Um, but is it the right thing to do? Probably not. And especially when you're working with someone else that maybe you don't know so well, maybe you don't trust. Uh, because when it comes down to it, I mean, if you have this sort of, you know, unspoken rule of you guys are going to be, be paying under the table and not taxing it. If they go ahead and put that in their books at the end of the year, then you're on the hook for the taxes for that. And uh, that's when problems can arise. Um, one of the person, one other person that commented on this article um, in direct reference to what Curtis said, he says, uh, paying in cash means the freelancer doesn't need to pay fees to PayPal or other credit card services. I don't think they were implying that you should help the freelancer circumvent the IRS. And he also says, also paying cash usually implies that you pay 100% upfront. I offered to pay my landlord in cash so I could get a discount on my office space. Ended up paying only 2500 total for six months instead of 800 a month. I also gave him blah, 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 blah. That part doesn't matter. Um... I kind of agree with some of this and kind of disagree. The whole paying all of it up front, yeah, that's usually a, a, a scenario where you can get a discount. And I don't really think that that's what they were saying in this article. Although I think that's a good point that, you know, if, if a client wants to pay me all the money up front, as opposed to, you know, if I, if I was doing a monthly update to a website or something like that. And we agreed that I would get, you know, a certain amount per month, a hundred dollars a month, let's say, and the contract is for 10 months. So I'm 
basically going to get $1,000 out of this job. If that client offered to pay me instead, pay me $800 all up front before I do any of the 10 months of work, I would pretty seriously consider that, I think, you know, because especially given my, my situation, you know, do I really need that money up front? Would I rather have it monthly or would I rather have it all now? Um, I might actually choose to say, yeah, go ahead and pay me $800 now and we'll be square for that. I think that is definitely something that could come into play. And really that has nothing to do with paying in cash in my mind. They could still pay me in a check and pay me up front and we'll, we'll continue with that discount. Um, as far as avoiding PayPal or other credit card service fees, uh, I could see that. But again, it doesn't have to be cash. That could be a check. Most businesses have checks. They have a checkbook. They can give me a check. They don't have to pay me through PayPal. They don't have to pay me through credit card, which they can't because I don't accept credit cards. There's no way I can do that without using PayPal. Um, but again, that cash implies them handing you cash. And that to me just sounds like a bad situation. Now let's say that you even you are going to report it to the IRS, you're going to pay taxes on it, they're going to put it in their books. There's no way I would accept cash for that because with cash, uh, if you were going to do it, the one way I would do that is to draw up some sort of receipt saying that they paid me for the job and we would both sign that receipt and both have a copy so that we both know that that was paid. Now, if I start accepting cash from all these people, and this is why typically you can't, you know, if you rent an apartment, you can't pay your rent in cash because there's no record of that then that you paid. But, you know, if I start letting all these different freelance clients pay me in cash and somebody knows that and somebody, you know, figures that they don't want to pay for the work that I did, they can claim that they already paid me. And how is anybody ever going to know? Because there's no record when you pay in cash. So cash, to me, is a bad idea always. Unless you're going to try and sneak around and not pay taxes. Now, if you want to do that, I obviously don't recommend that. But that's really up to you whether you think you can do that and get away with it. Um, but other than that, I would say never, never accept cash. That's just a bad idea. They can always pay you in a, che in a check. And like I said, there are different things can be worked out there. And... You know, decide what you want with uh, accepting less for certain terms, but don't accept cash. That's just a bad idea. As far as the second point of that, um, actually receiving something else like a membership or a product as part of the payment for your work, that's completely up to you as far as I'm concerned. Uh, again, that's, that's really something that's going to be not reported. I'm not sure what the legality factor is there. As far as, you know, is it illegal for me to accept a certain part of something? I would say it probably is, because even if I accept a membership, that membership is worth a certain amount of money, and I'm pretty sure the IRS would want to tax you on that. They don't want you getting any kind of compensation for free. It's just the way this country works. So as far as those things, what I would do if, if you guys come to some sort of agreement that um, they're going to give you like a $100 membership or something like that, what I would then do is you, you guys both agree to take $100 off of the, the price. Um, so if you have a contract or something like that, the bad thing about this, I guess, is you would have to have some sort of agreement and not necessarily document that agreement. Um, so if I had a $100 membership that I'm adding on to this project, it's going to take $100 off the project. I would just take that, uh, 
that uh, price that I gave to the freelance to the freelance client and take $100 off of that and agree that this is how much you're paying me. And you kind of have to have that handshake agreement that you're getting also the $100 membership as well. Um, again, it's, it's all kind of dicey and, and I'm definitely not the person to give out financial advice because I don't know. But my assumption is that anything you get in return for doing work should be taxed. And if you don't want to be taxed for it, or if it's something that you, you're really not sure about, either I would seek out someone else who does have the information on that, or you're just going to have to try and work your way around it and hopefully not get caught. Um, but this, again, this kind of stuff happens all the time. And and I've done jobs for people for favors, you know, and it's it's really, it can be a sticky situation, but it's really kind of up to you to decide what you're going to do with that. And if you, if both parties agree that you're going to do this work and all you're going to get in return is, you know, they're going to give you something, a product or a service or something like that, um, then that, that should be fine. If it's not something that's being reported to the IRS in any way, then it's really not going to matter. But that's where the thing comes in. Do you know that this client of yours is not going to report that um, at the end of the year? Because if they do, then again, you're on the hook for taxes. So uh, anyway, to the, to the broad point here of accepting cash for, for discounts and things like that, discounts can be worked out in several different ways. Um, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to include cash. And I, I really don't understand why somebody would say that you should be paid in cash because that just, it really doesn't make sense to me. There, there should never be uh, any transactions that are, that are cash only. That's just a bad way to do things because, again, there's no record of it when you do that. Uh, as far as bartering, trading for other things, again, I'd say that's up to you. Uh, if it's partial money and partial barter, that's where it probably gets into the sticky zone of, you know, you, you don't really know what should be taxed, what shouldn't be. Um, if you're just going straight up work for trade, then that's probably something that you can pull off with very little, little effort and not have to worry about too much going wrong there. But uh, that's my stance on that. And uh, again, I'm not the expert here. So if you have questions about those things, I would definitely recommend that um, you seek out some financial advisor, somebody, uh, a tax guy, something like that, and ask them. I'm sure they'd be more than happy to tell you what's going on there. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that you definitely don't want to mess around with, of course, because you don't want the IRS on your back, like, uh, like Curtis said. Okay, so the next thing, I was just going to kind of talk about what's been going on at work because I have been just swamped up to my eyeballs in work. And I mentioned before that we're, we have an online application and we are basically retooling the whole thing. The whole back end is being rewritten because it hasn't had that happen in about 10 years. So all the technology running the website, the application is very, very old. So that was project number one was to update that. Of course, there's a marketing piece that goes along with anything like this because they basically have to shut down production for six months to get this done, to retool everything. And the problem is now you're not releasing any new features on your application or website. And 
at the end of six months, it appears to customers that you haven't done anything because all you've done is the back end. It's not the customer facing piece. It's the, the piece that, that really runs that. It's the engine behind it. Um, so to the customer, it looks like, Hey, you, you haven't given me any features in six months. And, uh, you know, I got, I got nothing to show for you not doing anything for six months. So the next piece to add to that was the UI piece, which of course is in my area. We brought in a bunch of uh, contractors to help us work on this. So I've been working with this one, uh, this one worker to get the UI piece totally redesigned. Uh, again, with the engine being redesigned as well, certain things are going to change. We're actually getting up to Web 2.0 standards now. We're going to be using things like Ajax, where um, the page can just kind of repaint the data inside the same page. It doesn't have to go to a completely different page, completely different screen. So some of those screens are going to go away. We're going to consolidate. Things are going to be much more efficient. So we have to actually go through the application, decide what stays, what goes, and uh, also redesign the way everything looks, the way it functions, and try and make it a better experience for the user. I've talked on a couple different occasions on this podcast about uh, UI design, user experience, uh, really trying to get into the user's head and figure out you know, what's going to be best for them. Um, so it's kind of more of that stuff, but this is really the first project that I've really had to you know, dig in deep and, and really get into that research. So I thought I'd share some of that stuff because it's really good. It's, a really, it's been a really great process so far and a really good learning experience for me. And uh, of course, if you ever have the opportunity to be a part of something like this, I think it's a great thing. And I, I think it gets a little bit more in depth with this project because it's not just a marketing site. It's not something that someone just goes to look at, you know, basically an online pamphlet to get information about something. This is actually uh, an application that people use to crunch data and have it served up to them in different ways. And of course, they use that data to to save their, their business money, to um, make their fleet run more efficiently to make sure that their vehicles are in top running order and, and things of that nature. So the first thing that we did actually is to really kind of break down the site as it is now, the application as it is now. So we go through, find every single screen in the application, uh, make a screenshot of it, print it out and stick it in a book in a binder so that we have you know, this, this overall, this book that shows us every single page that's in the application. And from there, we can start going through and, and looking at things and saying, okay, this, how is this page set up? Is it, does it make sense? Are there, you know, key components on this page that need to be moved to other spots uh, so that they're more intuitive? Do they need to be reworked entirely? Do they need to be replaced with something else? Or do they just need to go away? Um, from there, also, we look at navigation items. You know, is the navigation working the way that it should? Are people using the navigation? Uh, does, does it need to be, you know, combined somehow or, or worked into a different format so that it's easier for the user to use, which that definitely was the case in, in some of the stuff we looked at. Uh, but basically just breaking it down and from our opinion, you know, what needs to be done here to make this more usable. Step two was actually kind of throwing down a, a tree, a site tree. So we can see, you know, we, we have all these different pages in our binder now, but how do you get to each of these pages? So you have that site tree to 
to kind of figure out how many clicks does it take me to get to this page? Uh, is there a faster way to get there? Are there multiple different ways to get there? And that's where you can start to see things like uh, redundancy, you know, pages that don't necessarily need to be there because there's already the same information in some other spot, which happens probably more than you might think it would. Um, especially when, when an application is 10 years old and you just keep building and building onto the top of it and not really breaking it down like we're doing right now. So again, this first phase is just us taking a look at it from our point of view. And it's really, it, it kind of helps because here I am, the person who's been working on this for five years now. And then she comes in fresh. She's never seen this application before. So everything's new. She's learning it on the fly, which helps because she already kind of has that outsider's perspective. Now that's not going to last very long because she gets up to speed pretty quickly with having meetings with people and having, we had a couple of sessions where we actually went through the application and showed her, you know, everything that it does and where, how to get to everything and, and, all those kind of things. So she got up to speed. So you do need that outsider perspective, of course, because everybody's going to use an application different. I think we know that from using things like Photoshop. There's a million different ways to do every single task that you can do in Photoshop, and everybody's going to have their own way of doing it. It doesn't mean one way is more right than the other. And I think it's important to keep that in mind as we go into this redesigning phase that you don't want only one way to do everything. You want multiple ways because people will use the application differently. But you do want to see those those top paths, uh, those top ways that people are using things. Um, actually, one of the, the things that we did kind of at the same time as, as all this first phase work is I went ahead and put analytics, Google Analytics, on our website. It was it was on our marketing site before it wasn't in our application, so I put it in there. And if you have a website and you're not using Google Analytics, then you should probably start. It's a, a free tool. It's very easy to install. Uh, it's it's very easy to use, and it can give you a lot of good information, even if you have just a small portfolio site that. Uh, you know, maybe not many people go and look at. It still gives you good information about, you know, uh, what what are the top pages that people are looking at on your website? Um, what are the paths? Like if they go to the homepage, where do they go next after that? Uh, it just gives you lo lots of good statistical data about the people who are visiting your site. So we installed it to, to find out a few different things. First of all, what kind of systems are these people using? What uh, operating system are they on? Which is going to tell us, of, of course, whether they're on Mac or PC, or we had some people on iPhones and Blackberries. Um, what browser they're using. Uh, a good chunk of our users still actually use Internet Explorer, but they're upgraded to 7, most of them, which is a good thing. 7 or 8. Uh, it tells us how many colors their screen, what resolution their screen is at. Uh, so we know how large to make the the website. You don't want to make your website like 2,000 pixels wide if you know that there's people running 1024 by 768 on their computer. Um, so you can start to make some assumptions about the the general population of visitors to your website. Now, there are still people. We found people that are actually using dial-up still, which was a surprise. We found people who are had their screen resolution set to 800 by 600. Another surprise, that's very small. That's that's very old school. Um, we found people still using Internet Explorer 6, and I actually have seen people still using 4, although I don't know how that works because almost nothing works on that browser anymore. Um, but again, you have, to, you have to draw the line in the sand somewhere and say these people are just SOL if they don't want to upgrade these things. 
Um, so you can start to say, okay, most of the people are on Internet Explorer 7. So we can set our, our bar right there and say, you have to have Internet Explorer 7 or above and you know Firefox 3 or 3.5 and above, something like that. But this helps you to be able to make that assumption that you can do that because you can see that most of the people are on that already. There's just a few that you're going to be cutting out of the loop there. Um, but you need to know these things because when you start coding pages, when you start designing things, certain things have problems in different browsers. And IE6 is a very, very good example of a browser that has a problem with a lot of stuff. Um, if you follow the the Twitter for Rookie Designer, I actually found this. Somebody contacted me, and, and uh, it's like this little badge that you can put on your Twitter picture. And I went ahead and did it. It's uh, IE6 must die. And somebody asked me, like, why did you, why must IE6 die? Why did you put that on there? And this is probably one of the worst browsers ever made, in my opinion, anyways. And I haven't been working in web design for a really long time. So, I mean, there could be something worse out there. Uh, my assumption that it would be something else that Internet Explorer, you know, something else that Windows made, because typically their browsers don't follow the same rules uh, that are put out by the, uh, you know, whatever consortium there is um, that decides, you know, CSS rules and how CSS actually works. Um, typically, they have their own kind of things. They even have some of their own tags for their own browser, which makes no sense to me. I mean, this is supposed to be something that's a, a standard is set, and it should work across all browsers. Now, of course, that's not always going to happen. Even between all the other browsers besides Internet Explorer, it doesn't happen. Not everything is exactly the same, but all the other browsers do a better job of, if you stick to you know, these simple, these simple standards, most everything is going to look pretty much the same across all browsers. IE6 is kind of a pain for things like uh, setting up uh, full CSS layouts without using tables. And there's a lot of issues going in there as far as that and as far as setting up navigation with CSS. So that's why I say IE6 must die. And uh, really, uh, I think most of the other browsers do a good job of making people upgrade. The problem with Internet Explorer is most businesses still use that as their default because it has some of the best security of any browser out there. Um, what I think Windows maybe needs to do a better job of, or Microsoft rather, uh, is is lending a hand to these businesses and showing them that, that they can upgrade safely and that the security is just as good, if not better, on Internet Explorer 7 and 8. Now, I, I noticed with the campaign with Internet Explorer 8 that they're trying to do a better job of marketing the fact that it's the safest browser that they've ever put out there. So it totally makes sense for you to be able to upgrade to that. But still, I mean, this is not the first thing on a business mind, uh, having to upgrade everybody's browser if they're very strict about you know what goes onto the computers and, and uh, what... what uh, what security policies they have and all that kind of stuff. So that's why it tends to lag and a lot of people still are on IE6. But uh, we just got off on a major tangent there, but I, I think it's a, a very important thing to think about because, again, we're going back, we're looking at what are most people using. If most people, if 95% of the people that visit your website use IE6, then you're kind of in a bind there. You have to design something that'll work in that browser because you can't just assume that everybody's going to upgrade and you can't lock them out of your website um, if they don't have that browser. So again, Google Analytics, 
uh, it's a good thing. It can tell you some great information about your website and you can start to make a, a, assumptions about the visitors to your website and, and what, what, the, what kind of system they're on and what's going to look best on their computer um, for your design. Once we got some of that information, we have kind of a, a good base of knowledge of, of things that, that we made assumptions on that we think are best for our website. Now it's time to figure out actually what the user thinks about what's going on with our application. So the next step here was actually to set up some interviews uh, with some of the current users of our application. And this was called uh, usabil usability testing. And we actually... Um, went out and, and viewed some people using the application. We actually visited one place because it was pretty close. And basically, we come in with a set of questions. And we have the user actually jump on their own computer, log into their own account in our application, and just kind of send them on their way. And we, we ask them things like, okay, what are the top things that you do? When you come in the morning, what's the first thing you do? You log in and, and you do what? You go to what page? You want you run what report? Or you, you maybe look at a map? Or maybe you drill into a certain vehicle? How do you use this application? And we watch them actually go through the different screens. We watch how they navigate to the screens, um, what they actually do there. Are there things that they're missing out on that they're, they don't even know that they can do? Um, so we kind of just go through that process of talking to them. Uh, we did a couple of these because some people were actually on the other side of the country. And here's another good little plug for GoToMeeting. You can actually set it up. And this is that thing where, this is where it came in really handy, is, of course, we can talk to them over the phone and, and ask them these questions, but we can also share the desktop with them so they can see the desktop. But again, we can pass the controls to them. And again, this is where it really comes in handy. Um, we have them control the, the computer, and they log into their website. And again, we can actually see what they're doing. And actually, we could record this as well. So we can go back and look at it again and say, okay, they went to this page first, and they, they used you know, the reporting engine, the reporting suite, or whatever. A couple of things from this. Obviously, you're, you're hitting on top pages. Like, what, what are these people doing the most? What are the most important functions of our application? Um, you have to kind of take it as it is, though, because we only got to do interviews with about 10 people. So that's 10 people out of how many? You know, thousands that are using the application. So you can't, you can start to make some assumptions, but you can't assume that everybody's doing the same thing because different people have different functions or different jobs, and they're going to use the application differently depending on what their responsibilities are. Uh, but you can start to make some assumptions. And one of the things that I noticed, actually, just from watching people navigate around the site is they weren't using the navigation that I installed the way that I thought that they would. Now, we have kind of overview pages where if you hit a button called Administration, it gives you this whole page full of links and explains what each of the pages are for. And there's links inside the body copy. And people were using those instead of using, you know, kind of a, a uh, drop-down style of navigation. Uh, now, why that was, there was a couple of ideas there. Maybe they're just used to doing it a certain way. When you get used to doing something in Photoshop a certain way, you don't usually change it unless you go and maybe take a tu tutorial or something and see that 
you know, it may be easier to do it a different way. And that's when you start to change the way you use the application. It's usually you get into a habit, you do something a certain way. And even if a new improved way of some, doing something, doing that same thing comes out, uh, it might take a while before you actually change the way you do stuff because you get so used to going through it the way that you do that it just seems easier to do it the way that you do it because you already know how to do it that way. And again, talking about businesses that... Uh, may not have the time or resources to go through a whole nother training and learn how to use this application a different way. They'll just choose to do it the way that they know how to do it because it doesn't take up any more of their time. Not realizing the fact that maybe if they took the time to take that training and understand these other ways, it would actually save them time because now there's a new, faster, easier way to do it as opposed to the way that they're used to doing it, which is longer and slower. Anyway, uh, so we, we saw some different things from people as to how they use it, how they navigate around, uh, got feedback from everybody. At this point, also, we're, we're interviewing them for, you know, what do they like about the application the best? What do they hate about the application? What do they want to see actually made better? And what's their wish list for things that could be added to the website, like new features, new functionality, or even something um, that goes along with the UI? One of the problems, typical problems we have with our application and again, is is a result of it being built like 10 years ago, is we have lots of tabular data. So we have, we have tables just full of data on different vehicles. So some of these customers have thousands and thousands of vehicles. So to get to all that information, you know, either you have to have a very, very long page where they just scroll down and, and look through this whole gigantic table, or you have to be able to cut that up into different pages. And that's what we do currently. Although the only way to get to different pages is to page forward or back, next or previous. So we don't have, we don't have logic in our application that says, okay, there's this much data, it lands on eight pages. So we give them a navigation of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And they can go next or previous, or they can jump to each page. Now they can, there is a little thing that they can type in a number of the page that they want. And actually, come to think of it, I think it does tell them how many pages. So they can punch in a number and hit enter, and that will go straight to that page. The problem is they have to remember which page the particular vehicle is that they're looking for. And if they add more vehicles, that might change which page it's on. So there's all kinds of problems there. And these are the little things that, that we're aiming to fix here because as time has gone on and people improve their, their web applications and websites, um, they've, they've really found different ways of doing things that are much, much better. So one of the things that, that we look to do is also go around and look at different websites, web applications that are on, you know, currently up somewhere else. And it's almost like stealing their idea. It's, it's not really stealing the idea because something gets used so much, it almost becomes a web standard. And I don't really think it's attributed to one particular person or one company. It's just the way people do things. And you might have a different take on it, but it's basically going to be the same functionality. Um, but that's, that's just the way things go. You know, People look around at other websites to figure out how to solve their website problems. And that's pretty typical. So we'll, we'll be doing some of that as well, or we have done some of that as well. And uh, I don't want to draw this out too long, but what we're talking about here is just basically a research phase of figuring out, again, go through the website, what do we think needs to be updated or changed um, based on just assumptions that we have. 
also, looking at how people are using the website or how much they're using the website, we, we use that Google Analytics tool to actually be able to see you know, what pages are being hit the most, what kind of paths people are using, uh, where they go right when they log in, where are they right before they log out, um, just different trends in how they use the application, and then also interviewing some of those people to know how exactly they do use the application. What things do you do the most? How do you navigate around? And, uh, and uh, you know, what things do you like? What things do you don't like? In addition to that, we also did some interviews, some research within our company. So there's lots of different facets to our company. And one of the biggest ones is customer service. Customer service fields all the calls that come in from the customers when they're having problems with the website. So they have a pretty good insight into what's wrong with the application. So that was a pretty good interview as well. Uh, we kind of get their wish list as to you know things that can be improved on to help this customer not call in so much, not have so many problems, and also things that they think that the customer need that aren't there already. Uh, again, just just really good research into you know what trying to come down to those top 10 things that everybody kind of agreed upon that are wrong with the website and need to be fixed. And that's kind of what, what comes out of this. When you do all these interviews, uh, it all kind of gets notated into uh, a spreadsheet or something like that, that, that is a wish list. So, you know, one person wants the map to be able to have some new functionality. One person wants the, the customer to be able to fill out a form and log a ticket with customer care. Um, how many times do different, these different people that we interview say the same thing? Those are the ones that get pushed up to the top. And those go to the list that essentially goes through, you know, whoever is managing this. We have a, a product manager that actually manages the website and decides what goes in next and what we'll have to wait until later. So we, we make this giant list of things, but out of that, about 10 or 20 of those items actually comes up in front of, you know, this group of people that's going to decide what goes up and what doesn't. And we decide, you know, what's the, what's the level of, of uh, effort that's going to have to go into those. And that's also a big thing in deciding what can get done and what can't, because you have a certain deadline. And if you can't make that deadline, then whatever is pushing it past the deadline needs to be taken out of that particular project or that particular phase of the product project. As far as the research phase goes, that's pretty much what we've done. And um, of course, there is continuous. Now, the, a couple of things that we're kind of getting into now is doing a titling study, which is looking at the different links, the different navigation that we have and how that is titled. Does it make sense? Um, does the user know, you know, if we have five tabs or five different uh, categories in our top navigation, and it doesn't show you what's underneath it. You have to roll over it to get those other links. Is it intuitive enough? Does the customer know what's underneath those five main topics? Are they going to know where to find stuff? Because again, it's going to be frustrating to them. It's going to happen. It has to happen. If we're doing a redesign, things are going to get moved around and some things might be in a different spot than they were before. Improved functionality means that some things are going to go away and some things are going to be made better, but they're going to look completely different. But, you know, is it so much of a change that the customer is going to be so flustered, they're not going to know what to do and they're going to not use your application anymore? That's, of course, the worst case scenario. 
best case scenario is they have good support. Um, they have somebody go out and train them, or they have the resources available to get trained on how to use this new application. It works a lot better. They can do their job faster, and it's a win-win for everybody. There might be some un uncomfort in that very beginning stage, of course, because nobody likes change. Once you get used to doing something a certain way, you don't want that to change because you're comfortable in that space. Um, but the reality is things have to change. It, progress must be made and things sometimes change drastically to make that progress. So um, we want to make sure that, that there's not too big of a, a learning curve for these people because they don't want to learn a whole new application. Some things have to be the same for them. So um, again, that titling study is to find out, you know, are we naming things in an intuitive way so that people can still understand where, where to find things? They might not know where to find every single thing they used to use, but most of it is going to make sense to them at least. So again, this is a, a thing where we're going to actually talk to customers. We're going to, you know, maybe show them some, some cards that have these top five titles on them and just ask them, okay, use this function, which is on this page, which of these five topics would you find this under? And you can kind of start to understand how, how their brain works in relation to your application of where they think things would live. And, you know, if it doesn't match up with what you were thinking, that's not necessarily the end of the world and it's not going to make you change where you put something. But if every single person you interview says that a certain feature should go under a different topic than you thought it would, then that's when you might want to start looking at it and saying, hmm, the way we put it doesn't really make sense to anyone, so we might want to change that. In addition to that, we're also starting to wireframe. And a wireframe is just like a basic schematic of a web page, uh, for those of you who have never done that. It's basically laying out where everything is going to go, maybe a little bit of you know how much space of the page it's going to take up, but you're not putting any kind of branding in there. There's no colors. Um, it's best, in my opinion, not to have any of this anyway. Sometimes you'll have kind of a hybrid, um, but you, you're generally going to leave out colors. You're going to leave out any kind of imagery or logos, unless you need that to, to have it make sense to who you're showing it to, um, which is sometimes the case. Um, but you want to leave out as much as that as possible because you don't want that to really sway anybody. Now, if you put in like new colors and new branding in there, they're not going to pay so much attention to what you want them to pay attention to, which is where the different components are on the page. They're going to be looking at, well, are those the colors you're going to use? Or can we change that color? Or the, I don't like how big that logo is. Can we make the logo bigger? Um, so they're going to be focusing on things that you're not really supposed to be showing them at that point anyway. So that's why we leave those out. So wireframe is just, usually it's just going to be a black and white. Even if I have curvy tabs, I'm going to have curvy tabs on the top of my uh, application. I'm not going to put that. They're just going to be boxes with the names in it. So it's very low level, um, no really design elements at all, because you want the people to focus on the things that you're trying to show them. And that is where everything goes on the page. And does this make sense? And does is everything there that's supposed to be there? So that's part of that too. Uh, when you start developing those a little bit more, we're actually going to develop our wireframes out a little bit and actually show them to customers. So for them to be able to understand, we might actually have to add some of those design elements back into it. But 
A good thing to do there is, since we already have an existing application, we can take the, the imagery, the colors, whatever, from the existing application and just throw that into it so it's not su such a shock to them. It's something that they're used to seeing, and they're not really going to concentrate on that. They're going to concentrate on what we're actually trying to show them. So that's a, di a different way that you could go with that. But you definitely want to get that constant feedback from these people and, and just have them go through and look at these wireframes or actually prototype it, uh, which would be... Of course, not the the end state of the the website. It could be done up in Flash. It could just be done in, in uh, simple HTML. Um, you could do PDFs with links, so that they click on a link and it just gives them takes them to another page of the PDF that would be you know the resulting the result of their choice. Um, just some way for them to be able to navigate through it and make sure that it makes sense to them. And uh, if anybody, if, if several people, again, have hangups with a certain thing that you're doing, then again, that's somewhere where you might want to take a look at what you're doing and maybe try and uh, rethink it, re, uh, redesign it so that it's, it's more intuitive, makes more sense to them, is easier for people to use. Uh, but again, if you, if you get, you know, a good amount of people that think that it, it works pretty well and a, a couple of people that just don't get it at all. That doesn't mean that, that it's a bad design or it's something that has to be changed. And again, is this is just a, a sample of the, the community of users that you're going to have on your website. So you can't really make too broad of assumptions just by interviewing 10 people. They're going to give you a subsection of, of what's going on there, but depending on who you choose and you need to choose wisely as well. Um, you need to, uh, you need to just take it for what it is and, and decide whether you really need to take that information and have it sculpt what you're doing there with the design or not. Uh, one last thing that I forgot to mention too, haven't actually done it yet, but one, one thing we're going to do is all those areas that we don't really, we didn't get from the analytics. We didn't really get the information that we needed from the interviews that we did. We're actually going to set up a survey and send that out to a very large list of users and hopefully get, you know, enough feedback from that to get the information we need. So certain pages we see from the, the analytics that they go to this page and they sit on that page for three and a half minutes. Well, we don't know what they're looking at on that page for three and a half minutes. So we kind of make questions around that topic of, okay, on this page, what, what kind of information are you looking at? And that will give us a good idea of what needs to stay on that page and what potentially may be able to go away. But again, all just kind of gathering this information of how does the user use what we're, what we're doing. And I think it's a good example. And a website and an application, even on top of that, is the most extreme example because people are using this a certain way and they're using it to get certain information out of it. Now, we like to do research for everything, right? But when you're making a brochure, it's not quite that detailed and you're not going to get into as much of a detailed process, but keeping some of this stuff in mind, I think you definitely need to learn some things about the audience. You know, if you're making a brochure that's going out to a certain age group of people or a certain demographic, um, you need to know certain things about them so that you can really tailor that project, that brochure to that specific type of person so that it, it will mean more to them. And hopefully they will actually read the information in it and uh, it will be a successful project. Um, but these are the types of things that you, you might need to do. You might need to learn more about the customer base of the company that you're working for because uh, going in, you might not know everything, you know? When, when this contractor came into our business, 
uh, she had worked on several different things before, uh, one of which was a very large website, web application for uh, cosmetics. Obviously, that has absolutely nothing to do with what we do. We were all based in vehicles and vehicle information. So coming in, she didn't necessarily have a lot of knowledge about that. So this is a great way for her to really get in tune with what this, who this user is and what they're doing with the information that we're trying to give them. So that's, that's really the key here is you understanding um, what the, the customers get from the business that you're working for. And that will help you, again, tailor your projects to actually mean something to those clients as opposed to just kind of slapping something together and hoping that it's useful for them. You're actually getting down to the details of making sure that they're going to use this for what it's supposed to be used for. Things are getting a bit out of hand. Looks like it's time to go to the bullpen. All right, so I have a couple of entries for the bullpen today. Um, and again, these are on the on the website at rookiedesigner.com slash design dash resources. Or you could just go to rookiedesigner.com and click on the little bullpen navigation item at the top. I put a couple of these things in, and there's two of them because uh, it, it's an application, and one is PC only, one's Mac only. Basically, what it does, though, is it lets you view um, the presets or the brushes that you have for Photoshop. So if you have like a ton of brushes, and, and brushes are a huge thing. I've seen sites just dedicated to free sets of brushes that you can download. Uh, if you have just hundreds and hundreds of brushes, it's not gonna be the best thing for you to actually view those in Photoshop. So this is kind of like an external, an external application that you, you can use to go through and see what the brushes look like, maybe set some of the details of the brush, but just see what you have in your stock there and what you know what might be available to you to use on a, on a different project. So um, the first one is Photoshop Preset Viewer, and that's the PC only one. And it is $25, but it has a, a much larger set of features than the other one that I'm showing here, which is Brush Pilot. And Brush Pilot is the Mac only software, and that one is for $15 only. Um, the Photoshop preset viewer for PC gives you a little bit more of a feature set, though, like I said. But you can go check these things out. They look pretty cool and, and pretty useful if that's something that you think can work into your workflow and really give you an advantage of being able to see all those things. Um, those two links will be up in the show notes. So either go to the bullpen page of Ricky Designer or just go to rickydesigner.com and go to episode number 116. And those links will be right there in the show notes for you. But uh, I think it's something that some people might be able to use. I thought they were pretty cool. So I put those up there for you guys. All right, last things. Uh, again, if you want to contact me, send me a, a topic or a question that could potentially become a topic for a podcast. You can send it to rdpodcast at, at gmail.com. Sorry, a little brain fart there. That's rd as in rookie designer, rdpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send me anything, uh, any comments about the show as well. Uh, if you want to add anything to what I've said, I'll definitely take that into consideration and uh, maybe mention that as well. I've had some people send me some great ideas after they hear the show. They're like, oh, that sparks an idea with them and they have some more to add to it. And that's definitely something if, if that happens, then uh, 
go ahead and shoot me an email. Uh, you can also reach people, um, myself included, sometimes on the forum. That's rookiedesigner.com slash forum. I have noticed that there hasn't been a whole lot of activity up there lately. And that's definitely something uh, I talked a little bit about a redesign of the site coming up hopefully soon. Um, that's something that we might look at as uh, whether to port it over or not. I think it's a great thing to have a forum. But of course, if nobody's using it, it's really kind of useless. So uh, I might actually be sending something out to to uh, people there or maybe just posing a question on, on the podcast as to whether uh, it's useful to you or not, whether it should continue to go forward or maybe in a different form, different format, something like that. Uh, I definitely think it's a great thing to be able to talk to other people. And I know you probably all use forums from other websites as well. Maybe this one has just gotten a little stale and uh, it's not that useful to you anymore. But those are things we'll have to figure out in the future. Um, for now, uh, there are some people up there that, that definitely go up there and answer questions and stuff. So you can definitely put it up there too. But uh, either one of those ways is, a, is a, a decent way to contact me. Another thing I'm looking at is just decommissioning the MySpace page because honestly, I don't ever look at it anymore. I don't even use MySpace personally anymore. So uh, that thing might go away. Maybe we'll uh, start something else uh, in lieu of that. But right now, it's just something that just really would take more of my time if I actually even looked at it, and I don't. And, and I apologize if people are contacting me through that. Uh, I haven't noticed too many people doing it because I do go up every once in a while just to make sure. But uh, yeah, that's something that might be, might be going away in the future as well. Um, other than that... Uh, I just say spread the word again to anybody you think might like this podcast or find it interesting or useful. Just uh, tell them where it is. And I think that about covers it for this time. I'm going to try and get another podcast up pretty soon here. Um, whether it's in the next week or not, I don't know. It might be the beginning of September, but we are going to uh, continue on and, and hopefully talk about some great things. So send in your topics, your questions, and I will talk to you later. And thanks again for tuning in to the podcast. And everyone, just remember that everyone's a rookie before they're an all-star. That one's high. It's got the distance. It's high.